Well, tonight, let's uh, turn once again to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. We've been talking about the believer and sin. And uh, the last two messages, we dealt with uh, the first 14 verses, which basically uh, talk about uh, uh, us continuing in sin, a, a practicing sin. When he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That's talking about practice that grace may abound. And we saw that, no, that should not be the case for the child of God. The believer is not to practice sin because it's inconsistent with what Christ has done for us and inconsistent with who we are. And uh, we, uh, uh, Paul answered that question by pointing out that when we placed our faith in Jesus, we were so closely united with him that we die to sin in the same way Jesus died on the cross. And Christ's new life through his resurrection is our new life as well. Therefore, we've been freed. And sin's penalty and power uh, is no longer effective in our life. We Now, through being in Christ, we have the ability to keep sin from reigning. Sin does not have to reign in our mortal bodies. Uh, it does not have to to, uh, to uh, tell us what to do. We have the ability, rather, to live for God. Praise the Lord. But the question that Paul poses in verse 15, which is what we're going to pick up, is another matter altogether. Paul also answers that question in verse 15 just as emphatically as he answered the question in verse 1. Let's read verse 15. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, uh, it's not evident in our uh, English text, but the verb tenses here in Romans 6 are, are very crucial to our understanding of what Paul is writing here. In particular, I want to compare the question Paul asked in verse 15 to the one back in verse number 1. And the verb continue at, in verse number 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Uh, that's in the present tense, and we talked about uh, a few weeks back, the, the question Paul is asking is whether a believer can engage in a lifestyle of sin after being born again by the gospel. But here in verse 15, the tense of the verb sin refers to a single act of sin rather than a continuous lifestyle. It's talking about, essentially it's, it's this. Essentially the question that Paul poses to his readers here is this. Since we're under grace and not under law, is it okay if we just choose to sin just a little bit? It's not, is it? I'm talking about choice we make. We choose to sin just a little bit from time to time, and then we confess it and get cleansing from it. First John 1 John 1.9 I mean, we ended, I think, last time talking about how uh, we're, we're not to abuse. We're, a, uh, we're not to abuse 1 John 1 9. Yes, it's true. We, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to, to cleanse us from our sins and to, uh, you know, to, to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is true. But we are not to say, well, you know, I can, I, I can do this and then I can just get cleansing for it. That's, that's not to be our attitude. And that's what Paul is getting to here in chapter number 6. 
Uh, Paul didn't beat around the bush with his answer. He gives the exact same answer that he gave to the question in verse 1. He says, there in verse, uh, uh, verse 15, the last, the last part of the verse, he said, God forbid, or no, by no means, per- perish the very thought of that. I mean, it's a very strong uh, no that he is giving there. Paul doesn't just give an answer and move on to the next one. He gives an explanation here of why the answer to that question is an emphatic no. And that's what we want to deal with tonight. Okay, Why is it an emphatic no? So let's continue reading verse, uh, let's read verses 16 through 19. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness uh, unto holiness. Um, So, uh, Paul uses a, a rather unusual and unexpected picture to explain his answer here. He uses the picture of slavery. Now, we're not real familiar with slavery in our day and time, but the Romans were familiar. <laughs> the Roman, uh, Roman Empire, slaves were a part of that culture. And we can tell that this is unexpected because Paul appears to apologize there somewhat in verse 19 for using this illustration as he points out that he's been forced to use it because of the natural limitations of man's thinking. So he's trying to give us something to be able to to think about. And so we need to remember that like most metaphors, the, the one that Paul uses here is not perfect and we need to be careful that we not don't carry it too far but at the same time, it's also very helpful in explaining why a genuine believer shouldn't intentionally choose to sin, even a little. So with that in mind, uh, let's see what this illustration shows us about the believer in sin. Since Paul addresses this very logically and methodically, let's just uh, look at this passage Uh, verse by verse, phrase by phrase here. First of all, there in verse 16, we see we can serve only one master. Is that simple enough? You know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now, Paul is using the practice of, of slavery in the Roman culture to paint a picture and the minds of his readers, if they were to go down to the slave market and ask one of the slaves who his master was, the answer uh, would become very obvious by just sitting there observing. Uh, observing whose commands he obeyed. You would know who his master was. He either confirms or refutes what he would tell you verbally by his actions, right? Uh, and in effect, what Paul is saying here is that everyone knows the way to tell who or what someone is enslaved to is to observe their actions and see who they obey. Now, we all sin from time to time, but we're talking about this is intentional. Intentional choice to 
uh, to take and to do wrong. Jesus said something similar in Luke six forty six, as there were many who called him Lord. Remember that? Many called him Lord. And in Luke Luke six forty six, um, uh, Jesus addressed those that would call him Lord with their mouth, but their action shows different. He said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord is not a part of his name. Lord is his position. <laughs> he is Lord. Amen. He is Lord. And uh, we are greatly influenced by the idea of political freedom in our country. I thank God for our political freedom. But I think that we have a tendency to think about uh, that freedom means that we are not in servitude to anything or anyone. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We all serve something or someone. We just do. Uh, by nature, because of, of uh, uh, our human nature. The point that Paul is making here in this section is that Christ does give freedom. But that freedom is merely the ability for us to decide which master we're going to serve. Our old master, sin, or our new master, Christ. Everyone serves a master and no one can serve more than one master at a time. And that idea certainly brings to mind Jesus' familiar words from his Sermon on the Mount, right? In Matthew chapter number 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He said, You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve them both at the same time. You're either going to serve this one or you're going to serve that one. Okay? So Paul shows that we can only serve one master. Second thing, our master will be either sin or Jesus, okay? Or righteousness. Sin or, sin or righteousness. And with that righteousness, of course, being the person of Jesus Christ, there in verse uh, 16, the latter part of the verse, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So the idea here is in a spiritual sense, every person ever born on this earth is a slave to, uh, of sin to and that's disobedience. Amen. If you're a slave to sin, what's sin? Sin's disobedience. Okay? So you're, you're a slave to, to sin or disobedience, which leads to death. Or you're a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness or life. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. It's important to note that there are two different ways that Paul uses the word righteous in Romans. Uh, the most common use refers to our position before God. Thank God we are righteous in God's sight. When He looks at us, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ, because we are in Christ. Amen? Make no doubt about it. Our position, once we trust Christ as our Savior, we are in Christ. And Paul makes that clear over and over. The only way that we can be positionally right before God is through faith in Christ. But he also uses the word righteous to refer to our way of life here on earth. In that sense, which is how Paul uses it here, it describes holy living. And we consistently, uh, which we consistently walk close to and live in obedience to Christ. And so, uh, Third thing I want us to see here is found in verse 17 and 18. 
And that's this. God is the only one who can set us free from slavery to sin. Uh, Paul reminds his readers here to, to give thanks to God because He is the one who freed them from slavery. I mean, uh, we, we were redeemed by Jesus Christ. We've been freed from the, not only the penalty, but the power of sin. And uh, he's reminding them here, the one who freed us uh, from slavery to sin and made it possible for us to become slaves to righteousness instead is God. God's the one. But God be thanked is what he says there, that you were the servants of sin before you came to Christ, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now, uh, again, the verb tenses are important here. The, the verb translated were uh, is in the imperfect tense, which means that con- continually in the past, his readers had been slaves to sin. And we know that's true. Before we got saved, we couldn't do anything to please God. And re- he reiterates this down in verse 20. When he says, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. When you were a servant of sin, before you got saved, you couldn't do righteousness. You know, you might do things that the, the world would look at and say they're good, but as God looked at them, he saw filthy rags is what he saw. There was no righteousness to come from our way. So, um, uh, this confirms what Paul has written previously in his letter about the, the, the fact that all are born with a sin nature. We know that. Uh, and before we put our faith in Christ, we could not help but serve sin because that was our nature. But the verb translated became there. But you became, uh, you, you were the servants of sin. Uh, and, you be, and he says now in verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Became is from a verb that uh, points back to a specific point in time in the past. And we know that's how our salvation took place. Our salvation was not a process. It was an instantaneous thing. We heard the gospel. We, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We were saved. We, were, we, we became servants of righteousness at that point. Um, now, again, it's, this is consistent with everything Paul has written up to this point. And I'm going to come back to that phrase, form of doctrine, that he uses there when, in verse 17 when he says, uh, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Uh, when we get toward the end of the sermon, I want to come back and I want to deal with that. And there's a particular reason why, why I want to wait to that point to do that. But this is, uh, um, cons- for, for now I want us to just see that there's a specific time in the past that these Roman believers had decided in their hearts to become obedient to the gospel. And it was at that point they were united with Christ. And when you were united with Christ, as you already said earlier in the chapter, uh, you died to sin. Right? You died to sin. Uh, you were buried and you uh, were given new life, resurrected life, Christ's resurrected life. But what I really want us to focus on uh, is uh, what that, that's translated being, being then set free in verse 18. He says, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Being then made free. Um, the important thing about 
how it's translated here is that it's passive, which uh, reinforces the consistent teaching of Paul throughout this letter that we can't do anything to free ourselves from slavery to sin. Instead, instead we were set free from our slavery to sin at a tremendous cost to God. We know that. Uh, It required His sinless Son, Jesus, take on all of our sin, down the cross to pay the penalty for that sin, and then rise from the grave to prove that he had victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen? I mean, he had victory over it all. So when we, listen, when we choose to sin, effectively, what we are doing is trampling all over what Jesus has done for us in order to go back to serve our old master. And voluntarily becoming a slave to sin once again. And when we do that, there's some serious consequences. And that's spoken of in verse number 19. And the fourth thing we see here is we will become more and more like whichever master we serve. Now we may just do an act of sin and, and, and we can confess, forsake, come back from it. But if we, if we have in our mindset that, hey, I can do this, and, and then you, it becomes a a habit, it becomes a thing that you are over and over again uh, uh, choosing, you're choosing wrong, we, we will become more and more like whichever master we serve. Look at verse 19, he says, I speak after the manner of, of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For Notice this, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now, it's talking about po- there was that first first was talking about before you got saved, what you were doing. After you get saved, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Um, as we've seen throughout this passage, Paul uses some different terms here to describe the same ideas that that he's been writing about in this section. He uses the term uncleanness here. It's, a, it's, a, it's translated from a compound word that literally means not clean or not purified. And it, it, it is included in Paul's list of the works of the flesh that you will find in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Remember that list of, of, of things that's called works of the flesh and that Paul lists in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Yeah, I mean, those two lists are huh, they're, they're contrary one to another another one. We know that. We know they're contrary. Now Paul reminds his readers that in the past when they were still servants to sin and uncleanness that slavery led to more iniquity. Uh, more and more iniquity in their life. When that word iniquity is talking about lawlessness. In other words uh, you, you know we knew uh, when we were in that position uh, uh, one sin just seemed to lead to another and lead to another. We found ourselves to be continual lawbreakers. And I don't think that any of us here would argue with that fact. I'm reminded here of a, of a well-known uh, saying. Uh, I've even preached this as an outline before in the book of Jonah. Uh, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Amen? And, and that's the way a nature of sin. But the problem with choosing to sin is that when we do, we voluntarily place ourselves back into slavery to sin. We, we go back and serve our old master. And when we do, the inevitable result is that a little bit of sin, if not dealt with, eventually becomes a lot of sin. 
And it's, it, it, if we deal with it, it doesn't have to. On the other hand, after having been freed from slavery to sin, if I present my entire life, and Christ freed me from sin, and, and I say, hey, hey uh, what Christ did for me, uh, I, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. And we present our body, soul, and spirit as a slave. <laughs> we don't like that term slave. Slave of righteousness, though. Um, a servant of righteousness. The result is holiness. That's what he says there. Even so now, yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. Uh, words, that word holiness simply means set apart. Uh, and it comes from the same root word that we get our English word sanctify, saint. Uh, with the saint, when we think of the sanctification process, like, like salvation, there are three separate aspects of our holiness or our sanctification. In the past, at the moment that we placed our faith in Jesus, we became set apart by Jesus unto God for His purposes. He, he sanctified us. And, and we also, at the same time, we set ourselves apart unto God. I mean, you know, we say, I want Jesus. <laughs> we set ourselves apart unto Him. So He set us apart unto Himself. We set ourselves apart unto Him. And that's why Paul calls all folks that are saved, he calls them saints. Even the, even the, the church that had a problem dealing with immorality and all kinds of stuff that was going on in the Corinthian church there at the beginning, he calls them saints. They were saved. And they shouldn't have been involved in the things they were involved in. And he deals with that in the book very clearly. But he wanted them to understand that in Christ they are, they are saints. And if you're a saint, that means that you are you're holy, you're set apart unto the Lord for His purpose. And uh, you were supposed to have set yourself apart unto God for His service too. Now that term... Uh, saint does not describe a special class of saved people. Uh, I know that there are certain churches that uh, they look at what someone has done over the years and they uh, they uh, say this person's a saint or that one there didn't do enough to be a saint. Listen, if you're saved by God's grace, you're a saint. <laughs> you're a saint. Uh, if you place your faith in Jesus, you're a saint. You may not act like it, but you are. Okay? And in and, and the present, as we continue uh, we, to set ourselves apart unto God, and that gets back to the, the, the passage there in verse number 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness uh, unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Okay, that's the, our present condition is we are to not yield to unrighteousness, we are yield unto God. Okay, so in the present, we set ourselves apart unto God. We yield to Him. He conforms our lives as we yield to Him. He conforms our lives more and more into the image or likeness of Christ, and that is a process. Okay, look, uh, it's just one page over in my scripture, but Romans eight twenty nine tells us that we are predestined to be just like. Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, talking about God, who God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many 
brethren. So it's already predetermined. If you're saved, you're going to be like Christ one day. And uh, uh, the, the process uh, goes by uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Um, in the future, though, we who are uh, we who know Christ, we who are saved, will be fully sanctified, completely transformed, or or sanctified, and set free not only from the penalty and power of sin, but also from the very presence of sin. And that's what we long for right now. Amen. I mean, I don't know you better long for that. That's, that's what we're looking for. And First John three verse two and three says, "Beloved, now are we the sons of God." And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So understand that this is a second or present aspect of the... I mean, understand that the, the, the second or the present aspect of sanctification that Paul has in mind here in the, uh, in the Scripture that we're dealing with, the, the second aspect. When we present, and that's a present tense with continuous action there, when we present our lives to God, we are servants or slaves of righteousness, and, and He continues to work out His holiness in our lives. Um, the Apostle Paul and, and other of the uh, New Testament writers would refer them to themselves as the servants of God. That's sl- literally bond slave. Um, and, and it goes back to, to uh, the, the thought, I, I, I believe anyway, in Deuteronomy 15 um, that talks about bond slaves. A bond slave that uh, they were serving because they owed a debt. And then they got the end of the debt, and the Lord said that you know, they, they can go free now. You know, they can only serve, I think it was six years, and then seventh year they'd go free. But it got to that seventh year, and if they said, you know, I love my master. <laughs> he treats me well. I, I just want to continue to serve. I just continue, I want to continue to, to uh, serve my master. It, it, that's, a, that's the bond slave that you know, Paul didn't serve out of got to. Paul served out of want to, what what the Lord saved him from. Um, let's uh, let's look at uh, verses twenty through twenty three here for just a minute, and then we'll uh, uh, we'll bring things to a, an end here. He, and I, I mentioned there verse twenty four when ye were the servants of sin before before you got saved, ye were free from righteousness. You couldn't do the right thing. He says, What fruit had ye then and those things whereof ye are now ashamed? You know, what, what did that bring in your life when you were a servant of sin? <laughs> well, the, we know the end of those things is death, isn't it? And that's what he says, for the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, been set free by Jesus, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord that's that's the 
that's the reality. Amen. It's the reality. The wages of our sin, that old life, was death. But the gift of God that He gave us uh, is uh, eternal life. And we are to live in that that is the reality. What our Lord wants from us is obedience from the heart. Obedience because of our love for the Lord, as mentioned, Deuteronomy 15, uh, verse 12, verse 16, 17 there. I don't think it's possible for a believer who truly loves the Lord to ever ask, how much sin, how much sin can I get away with? You know, and still be a Christian. That kind of thinking should never enter the mind of a believer who loves his Lord. And when we obey from the heart, we don't just obey grudgingly or reluctantly or just on the outside to impress others. That's not the way our service is supposed to be. Um, instead, uh, we are to obey gladly, cheerfully, because we want God to get glory from our life. Now, I told you earlier that I'd come back to that phrase, and this, uh, I, I want you to grab a hold of this. He says there in verse 17, that form of doctrine. He said, look back at verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now the word translated form there means a pattern or a model. It was used to describe a mold into which clay or wax was pressed that it might take the exact shape of that mold. You know where I'm going with this, right? We're to be pressed into Christ. What a great picture this is for a believer. The idea here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth in the form of a mold. And we were poured or pressed into that gospel of truth with the idea that our lives would be molded by that truth, so that we would come out of that mold in the exact image of the gospel. What is the gospel? Death, burial, resurrection. Be dead to sin. Be alive unto Christ. Amen. We're to be pressed into the mold. uh, That form of doctrine. Christ is our example. And we are to submit to the, the fullness of our reality that is found in Him. I'm going to say it one more time. Christ is our example. We are to submit to the fullness of our reality that is found in Him. Death to sin, alive unto God. Amen. Alive alive unto God. And so let's let's, uh, uh, choose wisely. Amen. Uh, uh, So easy for us to um, sin presumptuously. Let's not sin presumptuously. Remember we looked at that verse that David asked the Lord to hold him back from presumptuous sin. Let's, let's never presume on the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank